see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. Today, I'm joined by Kyla Fisher from AmeriPen and Rebecca Marquet from PMMI to discuss the latest update on their ambitious sustainability research titled The 10-Year Packaging Materials Compass. Like PMMI's business intelligence department, AmeriPen is data-driven, which helps them continue to be proactive with their policy as the leading packaging voice for creating and advocating sustainable solutions for the packaging supply chain. One of the main drivers for AmeriPen is trying to understand packaging and packaging recovery, as the recycling community clamors to better understand the future of packaging and how to adapt. Kyla and Rebecca's goal with their report was to find the bigger picture in the next decade of packaging, the implications of this, and move forward from there with potential solutions. Together, they do a wonderful job explaining the need for this tool to see into the future about what the customers of CPGs and packaging suppliers are going to be looking for and what changes each will need to adapt to this new reality. It's sure to be a terrific report, and this is just a taste of some of the early findings from the 10-year packaging materials compass. Let's have a listen. So with all the fancy introductions out of the way, welcome to the podcast, Rebecca from PMMI and Kyla from AmeriPen. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So... uh, so many of our podcasts have been based around sustainability and how sustainability is becoming more than a, the buzzword it was before and more as whether it's a lifestyle or a part of manufacturing. It's just something that is impacting pretty much everything. And I guess to kind of kick things off, I know that's sort of how you guys came together. So what is the main objective of the PMMI and AmeriPen 10-year packaging materials compass? Like, what are we hoping to accomplish with it? So when AmeriPen was first established, one of our founding principles was to be proactive with our policy and to be data-driven. And so as we've reached out to stakeholders over the past couple of years, trying to understand packaging and packaging recovery, um, particularly what we hear from the recycling community is that they need to better understand the future of packaging. And on average, takes about 10 years to redesign a MRF and about five to 10 years for policy. So insights into packaging in a 10-year time frame can help with better planning. And so our goal here was to kind of start that dialogue, is to understand, you know, you oftentimes get five-year packaging forecasts, but we don't get anything further in there. So we wanted to have, you know, the bigger picture and then what's the implications of this um, and, and move forward from there. And PMI has been a longstanding partner of 
Ameripen right from the get-go when we were first founded um, and seemed like a natural partner to help us with this study. That makes complete sense. Now, I have heard this word a million times, but I'm going to butcher it. Could you explain to our audience what a MRF is? Thank you. I should have no, corrected that. Yes, municipal recycling facility. So when mm-hmm. your recyclables get picked up at the curbside, assuming you're in an urban environment, it will go to one facility where all of that is dumped and then sorted into different commodities. Yes. And and I, like I said, I knew I was going to mess up whatever the letters were, but I've heard so much about this now from doing this. And from what I understand, that is kind of one of the barriers that is the hardest part of sort of getting all of this going is that there's so many different MRFs out there, correct? Correct. So many different MRFs and so many um, kind of different community programs that accept different exactly. materials. Okay, so that was a sidebar we could get back to. So I'm sorry if I cut you off, Rebecca. Um, please continue. Well, I think I think Kyla did an excellent job of describing what we're hoping it will accomplish um, in terms of, of the industry that she is involved in mostly. And for us, I think the big thing for business intelligence or um, custom research is to to just make sure that our members have some kind of tool to sort of see into the future and what their customers are going to be looking for and what kind of changes they'll need to adapt to this kind of new reality. Um, we want to be able to uh, have people look, have our members look toward innovation um, and being able to meet the, need, the sustainability needs of their clients. Um, and I guess that's the big goal for us, honestly, and and really to become more involved in the sustainability space as an organization. Yeah, and it and that's the thing is I think we we've everyone kind of took care of the low hanging fruit for the first ten fifteen years of sustainability popping up as a word that um, that you know they need to incorporate into their manufacturing, and now it has finally reached where we need to worry about it from the machinery standpoint and the material standpoint and yada yada. So I guess. With that in mind, what are you guys seeing in the data so far that's that's going to kind of influence material usage in the next, I guess, decade? Currently, um, we have a couple of surveys in field right now. And the way we're approaching this study is we're actually doing three separate surveys, one for materials and converters uh, suppliers, mm-hmm. and one for OEMs, and one for CPGs. Interesting. And the CPG survey is already closed, so that's what I'm going to be speaking about today is what CPGs are saying. So right now, what we're seeing that's going to impact materials usage the most, um, there's a couple different things. And I'm sure you've probably heard this with other people that you've spoken with or heard this at meetings, that really changes won't be made until consumers make the decision to spend more money to buy things in sustainable material packaging. And and to some extent, that's what CPGs believe too. 71% either somewhat or very much agree that that is going to impact their future decisions about materials usage. But really above that is legislation. Uh, And that's what CPGs are saying is really going to impact in the future their materials usage. And we're going to talk more about legislation probably later, but that seems to be the big thing right now. For our members also, we did ask about machinery being a limitation. So uh, 52% of CPGs believe that or or agree or somewhat agree that uh, machinery does Uh, have limitations, packaging machinery does have limitations that are preventing them from accomplishing their sustainability goals. So it's, it's not 
super high, but it's more than half. Mm -hmm. um, and so that really is something that can't be ignored by our members. It's something that they should absolutely be paying attention to and we should be paying attention to as an industry. But the big one right now is legislation and, and what that's going to mean for people. And in terms of legislation, what's on everybody's mind right now and what is pretty much the one of the main topics of conversation is EPR, and that's Extended Producer Responsibility. And four states have already uh, enacted EPR laws, and uh, that's Maine, uh, Colorado, California, and Oregon. And other states um, that I've spoken with representatives from, it's on the table for them as well. And that's really going to be, it, it has a potential to be complicated if all states are vastly different from each other. Um, so we're not really sure how that's going to play out, um, but that's what I'm trying to get at with the rest of this study is to find out how exactly this is going to impact people in the industry. So I'm sorry, could you give an, ex an example of how um, that legislation, whether it could be any state, like let's just use, you know, a state A, how that's going to impact whether it's the machinery, the materials, how that 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 new legislation would impact them? So I think that... Um, that kind of legislation is just going to put the onus on um, CPGs to be responsible or accountable for the materials that they're using in their packaging, which may prompt them to change the materials that they're right. using to package their goods. Okay. Um, so uh, if they have something that they're using for packaging, for example, multi-materials um, that are impossible mm -hmm. to recycle, um, then fees will be given out and um, hopefully those that revenue from fees will go to improving recycling infrastructure in the United States that those are all details that have to right. be determined but that's I think probably how it's going to impact materials usage is if there really are problematic materials that are difficult or impossible to recycle do CPGs want to continue using those materials or will they opt to change for more sustainable material? And I think building on that, I mean, this is what I found fascinating about the data is if you look at our current legislation right now and our current kind of public dialogue, there's this pushback against, you know, plastics and particularly around plastic films. And yet the data is telling us that most packaging designers want to see more films and are looking at transferring out of certain types of packaging formats more towards these films. The other one, you know, that is interesting from a legislative standpoint is compostables. More and more package designers are saying in the next 10 years, they want to be exploring more compostables. But legislatively, we have challenges in compostables in that, number one, we don't have enough infrastructure. Number two, of the infrastructure that we do have, a lot of those composting facilities don't want compostable packaging. And so this opens up a whole new dialogue around how do we set up our policy? Is our policy right now tackling things that design is not going with? Will design change or are they already, you know, anticipating some of these? You know, it, it, there's just a lot of questions that some of this opens up, I think. Yeah. And it's it's interesting because it you said earlier and it, it's because CPGs are looking for the consumers to kind of make that decision simply because of cost, which is how pretty much every decision is made, um, comes down to cost. And now it seems that the CPGs are sort of calling on, not calling on, but are being led by 
legislators who are going to add costs to them if they don't, you know, uh, comply with these um, more sustainable materials. So while obviously it all, again, it all circles around money, um, but it's interesting that it's moved, you know, from consumer to now it's not going to be, it's still on me to put the bottle in the recyclable container, but it's putting it more on big business to make sure that they kind of take care of it on their end of it. So that is interesting. Is there any, and I don't know if this is something you guys know the answer to, is there any move towards a more federal level of this or is it still just state? In the discussions that we're having, there is a desire to see more federal coordination. Um, right. I think there's an absolute fear um, well, industry has become more supportive of EPR because they do see it as a way to kind of close that loop and make packaging more circular, um, you know, where 10 years ago they might have fought against EPR. There is this fear now of, but we can't have EPR in, you know, 50 states. We need to we need to coordinate it a little bit differently. Um you know, AmeriPen being a lobbying association, we don't have high hopes that you're going to get most of your activity at the federal level. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we're certainly working on the federal level. You're seeing more initiatives, you know, with the EPA and their national recycling strategy, the passing of numerous more recycling bills. But I think I think we may need to be creative. I, I look at Canada and, you know, Canada has a very similar legislative environment around waste and recycling in that each of the provinces is responsible for their own strategies. And what they've done is they've coordinated a, you know, provincial working group so that they, they harmonize their EPR fees, they harmonize their EPR practices. Um, and the federal government's not directly involved, but each of the provinces is working. And you know, maybe that's what we need here. But, you know, with that said, I mean, we're certainly working at a federal level and, and trying to pass that message that we absolutely need better coordination if we're going to work this way. And I think I'm digressing a little bit, bear with me, but I think that also okay. speaks to recycling too. I mean, one of the things that you hear is recycling is done at a local level. And so, I live in Phoenix, I go to work in Chandler. What I can recycle in Phoenix is very different than what I'm recycling 40 minutes down the road in Chandler. And that's incredibly frustrating for the consumer. And so do we need to start looking at recycling from a, you know, a more coordinated level, whether you call it a MRF shed, you know, looking at who feeds into these municipal recycling facilities or do we, you know, standardize it at a national level, but just make it really easy and clear that, you know, what you can recycle at home is the same as what you can recycle at work or on vacation. And building on what Kyla said, um, so it is different from like here from county to county or city to city. Um, but in talking with recyclers or um, state officials who are involved in recycling programs in their area, they do, there is an attempt now to coordinate with other states. So I just recently spoke to someone from Connecticut who um, that state has 100% accessibility to recycling facilities for all of their for all of their citizens, then they will also coordinate with other states. Like they will talk to people, other recyclers from California or from the Southeast. Um, so there is some coordination, but it has to be major involvement, I think, by all of them to get some kind of standardization. And no one I've spoken with is super optimistic about federal standardization. Maybe like there could be some decisions for, for the big areas of these kinds of initiatives, but it's really, I think in just the people that I've spoken to so far, it is gonna be down to 
to the states. Right, which then leads us to the same situation that we're kind of dealing with now. Like I am thinking of the plastic, as an example, the plastic bags you get at like a convenience store or something. I can go into one town where they don't, they're banned, and I can go into the next town where they'll, you know, give me five of them. And that's just a simple example. But making that on a, on a larger scale, um, you know, that's creating a lot of waste. It's kind of making it pointless to even stop it in the one place if you're still creating so much more right next door. Um, so I guess, is there any other things that you're hearing, Kyla, from members or others in the industry um, that's needed to better align material usage and recycling beyond what you've already said? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a couple things, right? We've talked about EPR a number of times, but I think one of the things that strikes me as we go through these dialogues is this interest in EPR, not just as a funding mechanism, which is really kind of how it got started, but more as a way to get designers to help coordinate and feed insight into the recycling system. So there's interest in this study because it's the first time that the packaging industry is kind of talking to recyclers and saying, hey, this is what's coming down the pipeline. And, and so there's more desire to see this and, and EPR is seen as a way to do that. I think the other thing that we're hearing is there's still underutilized materials in the recycling system that we need to focus on. You know, we still have, what is it? 50% of Americans have curbside access. Don't quote me on that. Um, but have universal curbside access. So, you know, some people don't necessarily recycle because they have to pay for services or it's really complicated to get services or there's depots. And so if we can streamline that, um, you know, we can get more paper, we can get more um, PET. Um, you know, AmeriPen did a study a couple of years ago where we looked at corporate goals for recycling. Um, and then the available, you know, so our demand essentially um, for PCR and then the available supply and capacity of PCR. And what we found is in almost every case, we didn't have enough supply and we didn't have enough capacity. And so, you know, that speaks to the fact that designers are interested in PCR. Designers are, are wanting to reuse it. We need to increase collection. Um, so we need to be looking at ways to improve that system just to, just basic access. But then the other side is how do we sort it better? So we're not losing good material to poor contamination. And then the last one that really struck me as this goes through, and I talked about it a little bit more earlier, is that idea of composting. Um, you know, we have this robust discussion around recycling, but if more and more packaging designers are moving towards compostable packaging, we know that food waste is an issue in this country, then we need to start having more robust discussions around expanding composting infrastructure and looking at ways that we can leverage both packaging, compostable packaging and food waste together. Very interesting. Now, having said all that, Kyla, are, Rebecca, are you seeing from the data that you've been able to pull in so far, are you finding things in the survey that are that are jibing with this, that, um, that, that see this as a possibility? Absolutely. Um, when I look at open-ended responses uh, from CPGs in our survey, infrastructure is the big one. Um, they're really, and I'm hearing this in interviews as well, um, infrastructure is problematic. Um, as Kyla was saying, only 50% of Americans have access to recycling programs. 
um, that it could be a lot, lot higher. Um, but not only that infrastructure for, um, for access for consumers, but um, also act, uh, infrastructure for, for the MRFs, um, because we just had a conversation um, today earlier with um, recycling officials, uh, state officials, where MRFs are not going to act on something unless they can, it can keep them in business. I mean, and that's going to that's gonna require um, changes to their own infrastructure as well. So all around, um, whatever decisions are made at the federal level, at the state level, the monies that are collected, if we go in like the direction of an EPR, has to go to improving our infrastructure. And I'm hearing that in the survey. I'm hearing it in interviews. It absolutely jives with what Kyla is saying. But I think the strength of this study is making sure that we have the insights of what is that infrastructure to go for. And I think, you know, up until now, we've had people's, you know, hey, I think this is the infrastructure that we need, you know. And so, again, when you look at the discussion around films, people are saying, well, we're going to phase plastics out so we don't need infrastructure into plastics. Well, that's not what our data is telling us. Our data is telling us that plastics is going to continue to grow. And there's a number of reasons why plastic is going to grow. Um, and, you know, these these countervailing forces, you know, the the rise of e-commerce, which makes flexible films more viable, you know, counteracts with the desire to reduce plastics. And so we need to have that discussion and we need to have it soon so that we're not investing in the wrong infrastructure. So we started with MRFs and, and I think we're probably going to end up talking about MRFs at the end of this. Um, but I, I understand exactly what you're saying. As I said, I've, I've done a bunch of these, but this, I learned a lot from this just listening and I'm sure that our listeners at home will as well. So I want to thank you, Rebecca, and thank you, Kyler, for taking time out of your day to come on here and talk about it. And hopefully we can have you um, on an, again to, to talk about some of the other surveys as they come in. Yeah, would welcome that. Absolutely. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.